You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. How is everyone this Thursday evening? I need you to do one little thing for me. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL. That helps us more than you would know. Um, we, As I mentioned yesterday, we're recording a little late, but uh, my man Mike Sando is a West Coast dude, so this isn't all that late for him. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. Good to be here, man. Absolutely. There, there's some big news in the NFL today. Maybe not all of you are aware of it, but we're going to discuss that for sure. But before we do, I threw this out yesterday to Mark Schofield. As we're recording this, the NBA draft is going on. There was this huge Davis trade, and a lot of people thought, wow, the Pelicans made out. Look at all the picks they're going to get. They're going to be the next Golden State. And I don't know anything about the NBA, so I don't know if it's a good trade or not. But it made me think, and I brought this up to Mark, now that the hay's in the barn, the offseason's pretty much come and gone, did the Raiders make the right move trading Cooper for a Dallas first-round pick? And trading Mac for basically, I mean, I know it's a little bit more window dressing, but two Bears first round picks. And they'll have the Bears first next year. We don't know anything about where that's going to be. Um, but by giving Mac and Cooper to the Cowboys and Bears, respectively, that made these teams later, made these picks probably later than they would have been. So in the end, and I don't want to get Mike too much into a butterfly effect of. Well, you know, they wouldn't have signed Terrell Williams if they would have kept Cooper, because they wouldn't have. But it would be interesting to think if they would have went into this offseason with Cooper, with Mac, still make the A-B deal, still have a lot of cap space, but still have to pay these guys, of course. That's part of it. And they don't have a late first-round safety and running back. Yeah. Yeah. In in general, elite young players are much better to have than some draft choice that's going to be hit or miss, right? I mean, the odds of you getting an Amari Cooper or Khalil Mack in the draft are lower than, are, are relatively low. Very. Um, but once you have them, the odds of having them are 100%, right? Now, I think Cooper was easier to justify for me uh, because uh, I thought he was diminishing a little bit. I mean, I thought his speed hadn't looked as good. And if, even if you went into the NGS data, you know, the tracking data, it was on the decline. Um, that all came back with the Cowboys. So maybe he just needed a change of scenery and mm-hmm. and he got happy again. And if you look at Dak Prescott this past season, when uh, Amari Cooper was on the field, he completed 72% of his balls, 13 touchdowns, three interceptions, 105 rating, right? I mean, just off the charts. When Cooper was off the field, he's 10% lower on his completion rate, 63%. Amazing. Nine touchdowns, five picks, 87 passer rating. So it looks like that could be a really good trade for them. I think they, they could be a really good team this year. And not um, to mention, Amari just showed yeah. up middle of the year. You know, like they didn't have a training yeah. camp together and all those things too. So it might be the yeah. best to come. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in general, just if you have elite players, they're so hard to find. I'd, I'd hold on to them even if you have to pay them. Right, and it wasn't like they were cash strapped. I mean, they maybe they wouldn't have ended up with Trent Brown. You know, I mean, they, their off season obviously were taking a much well, different course, but they still had a lot of money. Yeah, they did. Everyone thought they were cash strapped at the time because you know they're they're stuck in the Oakland Coliseum and they're they're looking to move to Vegas to make more money, and they they did. You know, I think a lot of the signings they made 
a lot of those payouts were tilted towards like 2020. Mm-hmm. So I do think cash was a, was at least somewhat of a consideration, but also a big part of it to me was just new sheriff in town, John Gruden, and you know he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna sort of defer to uh, you know kiss the rings of the stars that were there. I think he probably wanted some of his own guys. So uh, the timing of that probably played a role in this too. I think that's absolutely true, and I can't argue with you that Cooper on tape, statistically on your fantasy team. Last year with the Raiders, it wasn't good. However, you know, Mark and I were talking about this yesterday. If you look at his career and considering his age, he's still very young. He's mm-hmm. kind of on a Hall of Fame pace. Wow. I haven't looked at that. That's I mean, it, I know that sounds extreme, you know, because I mentioned, you know, Max probably a future Hall of Famer. And I think Mark said something along the lines of, you know what, if Amari keeps up this pace, he might be too, you know. I mean, I know there's a lot of good receivers in this era, but he's done a yeah. lot at a young age. Well, he so he had 1,070 yards his first year, 1153, 680, and what do you have? He was close to a thousand, had about a thousand last year. So okay. I think you have yeah, to put it in the context. Right. You have to put it in the context of the stats that are done today. If you compare him against, you know, the Hall of Fame receivers back when the ball wasn't flying all over the yard. You know what I mean? You're, we're going to compare him to Fred, Fred Blitnikoff's numbers. <laughs> I look at I look at where a guy is when he retires. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and he's going to be way. He's got 3,908 yards for his career, so he's having a up and down start to his career. He is only 25. He has that type of potential, but I would not go that far. No, you're 100 percent right. I mean, the more I think about it, yes, because. One of my criteria when I start talking Hall of Fame, too, is are you one of the best in the in the league at your position? And none of us would say that yet about Cooper. That being yeah. said, and I think you mentioned this earlier in the pod, I, I definitely think Dallas is very happy with the deal, and my hunch is Chicago is very happy with the deal, even including the contracts that they paid and are about to pay. Well, yeah. I mean, it, and, and now you get Mac for the whole year, too. So, mm-hmm. um you love having that guy, right? I mean, he made their defense maybe from top 10 to number one. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and I, I don't look at trades and be like, there's there has to be a winner and a loser. It's not like the Raiders lost yep. because those two other teams won. But I just think it was interesting this time of year that if I re-envisioned the Raiders offseason going into the process with Cooper, Mack, they make the Brown trade, they sign a mm-hmm. handful of other free agents, not Terrell Williams, maybe mm-hmm. the end. You know, maybe they don't draft yeah. Jacobs at the end of the first round, but they take Miles Sanders at the beginning of the second. Or you know, um, yep. I bet they would. More of us would be saying, "Wow, they might win the West." Could be saying that. I think their strategy, though, is to go young on defense, pay guys on offense. They didn't think Cooper was meriting it, you know, and that's fine. I mean, John Gruden in the league is a receivers coach. Maybe he has certain types of guys he wants and. And he wanted that alpha guy in Antonio Brown, and he got him. So mm-hmm. uh, they could be okay. But, uh, yeah, Khalil Mack, one of the best players in the league. You get a guy like that, generally you want to keep him. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. Another quick topic for you, Mike, and it, it kind of reflects your area of the country in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. is I, I, I basically go to Pro Football Focus every day, and I read many of their articles, and I respect their stats a great deal. 
And that being said, I mean, some people look at it like it's gospel, and I'm not sure how you put a grade on corners and offensive linemen to the degree they do, but that's a whole different conversation. So I urge everyone to you know, to check them out. I think they're a very, very useful tool. But today, they published their 1-32 to 32 rankings of passing offenses in the league. And the Chiefs were 1, the Saints were 2. Not surprising, you know, I mean, the, the regular teams were at the top. Tampa was really high. They have a great passing offense. But number 5 on the list was the Seattle Seahawks. And I'm not saying they're wrong, don't get me wrong, but I thought, and I said this many times, that Wilson, to me, had his best year. So did they, and where I'm going with this is because they ran the ball so much, was that the right strategy? Should we be praising them? Boy, they played it perfectly. They maximized yeah. their throws or, hey, throw the ball yeah. some more. Um, they, they probably ran too much. You know, they, they really went extreme heavy, like off the charts percentage of running the ball on early downs, especially early in the game when, you know, you know before the score and everything determines whether you're going to run or pass. So I think they went overboard, but I, I, but I think, you know, Pete Carroll wanted to reestablish their identity as a running team. And then number two, they can't pass, they can't pass protect. I mean, people thought, mm -hmm. wow, that offensive line was better. Well, yeah, you didn't ask it to block, right? In, in passing, <laughs> right. pass blocking, right? So um, Russell Wilson still got sacked 51 times um, in the year. Uh, I think for them, they're a totally different type of passing game. They're not slice and dice, Drew Brees, move 90 yards and 10 throws, okay? They are establish their, their running game and then try to get explosive pass plays off of it. Not rhythm pass plays, explosive pass plays. So it's going to be lower volume pass, but they still, you know, their points per game were up, one of the highest um, in franchise history. They had 111 passer rating, 35 touchdowns, seven interceptions, extreme high efficiency with low volume. So, you know, people think then, I don't know if they think it, but they imply that, hey, um, what if you just passed on every play? Then, <laughs> <Right>. these, then <laughs> these numbers would just translate, right? Of course. And I think the truth is, you could pass on some more plays, but they're not a—they're not set up to pass the ball. I mean, he's not a rhythm passer, and they don't have an offensive line that can block in the there's, pass game. There's a couple notes from the write-up from Pro Football Focus, and they said yeah. basically what you're saying was Wilson's depth of target was 9.9 .9 yards. Only Josh yeah. Allen and Jameis Winston were higher. And yep. they're kind of fly-by-their-see-the-pants type of guys. And no quarterback finished with a higher passing grade on 20-plus yard throws than Wilson either. I mean, he's a great yep. deep passer. Um, but they were also at 49.7% rush. You know, I mean, nearly 50-50. And including the Ravens, that was still yep. the highest in the NFL. Yep. It would, it would be nice if they could open up a little bit more. But I think for them, you know, their, their M.O., is not that and they want to control the game a little more and you know i think they can they can sort of get away with what they did because because wilson's uh so good when you need him to be you know in situations uh, uh but i don't think they're a high volume team that wants to be that should be throwing the ball at the top of the league you know as far as the, the rate of passes yeah i think we agree on all that that they probably went a little overboard being run yeah. heavy um totally. but <laughs> I also look at Carroll and think he's one of the best coaches in the league, and I'm sitting here trying to get in his mind, and like you said before, my, I don't trust my protection. 
my receivers aren't wonderful right now. I mean, you lose Will Disley. What was Baldwin like yeah. last night? Lockett was great. And say what you want about Wilson. I do think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But he was very sandlot, you know, fly by your seat of your pants. I think reeling him in this year and being a lot more structured, playing to his strengths, throwing the ball less might be a good building block, you know, as you try to rebuild this team. And by running the ball, you don't have the Legion of Boom anymore either. You, you know, you don't want that the present Seahawk defense on the field too much. Yep, you want an efficient passing game. They could increase the volume. I think they will this year. It'd be surprising to me if they were that, you know, that run heavy. But I think Pete Carroll wanted to, you know, was bound and determined to reestablish who they are. And if you look at what their team was like when they were winning the Super Bowl or being in the Super Bowl, they were a heavy run team then too with a highly efficient, explosive pass game. The key is they have to be explosive in the pass game because they're not going to nickel and dime you in the pass game. Yeah. So they, they have been that. That's been their formula. It's been a good one for them. It's going to defy the. It's going to drive the analytics crowd crazy, right? Because they're all looking at the stats, going, "Return to the you guys beam. are idiots." Right, I mean, right, everyone's yeah. passing the ball. That's way more efficient way of moving the ball, uh, and it is to a point, but not the same amount for everybody. Yeah, and you're right. The explosiveness, their quarterback defines explosiveness with his arm and legs. And I'm sitting here thinking. Who are the best and most established coaches in this league outside Belichick? Well, Harbaugh yeah. and Carroll are right near the top, and they got their teams to the playoffs playing left-handed, playing unorthodox, maybe without playoff talent. Maybe I should just be quiet and let them do their job. <laughs> well, to some degree, yeah. It's The Ravens are so interesting to me because they've been such a heavy analytics team, and yet here they're playing with a Lamar Jackson offense. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know if that's the way to go. I think Russell Wilson um, gives you more dimensions um, than that. They're not, they don't have to have Russell Wilson running to win the game. But I do think there's a place for the running game in the NFL today, especially uh, now that on early downs, with so much sub-defense on the field, you can run against sub-defense. So yeah. um, it's an efficient way to run the ball more so than, it, than in the past. Right. I mean, you're seeing the Patriots run more now. I mean, like, the, the quote, smart teams are running again. I mean, so uh, it, it's all, you know, whatever they give you. Some. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you're a tough physical team, um, there's there's some value in that that doesn't always show up in the stat sheet. Yeah. Um, and believe me, I'm as big a believer and, and excited about analytics in the passing game as anybody. I don't think anyone should be three yards in a cloud of dust, but I do think there's a place for the run game. Agreed. Agreed. Um, we'll be back in a minute. I mentioned at the top of the show there was some big news, league-wide news, and this is right up Mike's alley. I'm excited to talk to him about it here in a moment. All right, Mike. You contributed to an article on ESPN that we're going to get to, <laughs> which was a really cool article and not all that football-related, but we'll get to it. But a very big football rule went down today can you coach everybody up on it? I'm fighting a sore throat here, and I want you to take this over. Yeah, basically, uh, the NFL has is going to give the replay official up in the booth the ability to uh, challenge pat- defensive pass interference-related plays uh, late in the game, which obviously uh, is a big deal. Uh, coming out of the playoff game. So the question is the Saint game. The question really is, this is being reactive, right? I mean, this sure. is there's a problem last year. We're gonna, we, now we've got the plan to fix it. We checked the box. Can this be done? You know, can, can you have? Is this going to make it better or worse? Do they have the mechanics and the right people up there 
um, to do this. And then I think a bigger picture, can you make everybody happy or do we just have to accept that there's going to be some errors in officiating, right? Well, um, the second yeah, question, ahead. I think we already know the answer to is no. And you're never going to make everybody happy. There's no perfect yep. way. Um, I'm not sure my listeners know this, but it doesn't matter if I have a challenge flag left or not. Do I have timeouts? I mean, this is just totally over over the coaches out of their perspective, out of their hands yeah. completely, right? Yeah. Yes, and there was some talk of, of hey, should the coaches be allowed to do it in the final two minutes? But remember, coaches coaches want as few things as possible they can be criticized about, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, I got mean, a lot to think about already. Too. There's already, a, yeah, exactly. So um, now you're going to put it on a guy up in the booth, and I just, I think it could be, I think this could be disruptive. Um, to the season. And, I, and I'm usually the type of person who says, oh, they'll get it figured out. Yes. Uh, What's your but concern? Of, I, I don't really share the concerns, or maybe I just haven't thought about it enough. Well, you know, are, are you going to have too many stoppages, I think, is number one. Mm-hmm. So they say what it has to be clear and obvious. Well, what's clear and obvious to the team that's getting screwed on the play isn't to the, te- the other team, right? I mean, these are judgment calls. And I, I just don't – I don't know if – not getting right on the field means we're going to – now we have another guy who can get it wrong <laughs> Yeah, uh, in the booth, and he's not even on the field. So um, that's all. I mean, I, I, here. I, okay. I think it's one to watch this year. I'm glad it's not in the coach's hands because I think some would challenge and just when they want a timeout or they want to give their defense a breather. or I kind of like that it is an impartial person, assuming that person is impartial. I don't know about you, and I know there's a stink about this. And I'm sure there's TV ramifications. But if a game, if I go to a game or if I'm watching my favorite team and it's three hours and ten minutes instead of three hours, I don't complain about that. Do, do most people care? Um, I think so. I mean, I think the game dragging on, it depends. I mean, if it's a great game, then I think you're, you know, you and I are not, the, the person they have right. to worry about, right? I mean, <laughs> right you and right. I, you and I are talking football passionately in June. Okay, and frankly, probably our listeners count too. I mean, if they're listening yeah. to this in June, they're watching every they're, snap, anyways. They're watching every snap, anyway. Right. So, yes, for you and I, the extra ten minutes, I mean, I'd rather if it'd be three than three ten. But you know, they're trying to resonate with uh, a TV audience and a younger audience, and uh, not everybody. And not everybody loves the game for the game. That's why there's fantasy football and gambling, right? I mean, some people need a little shot of something in their game <laughs> to really um, enjoy it. Whereas you and I, we just like football. Right. You know, it's enough. Football is enough for us. So uh, I think shortening the game is 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 a good thing to do. And I think a lot of that does come down to the officials. I mean, there's different officials that have games that average longer than, than other guys based on you know, how frequently they're stopping the game, how efficient they are in spotting the ball, you know, all those mechanisms that people don't pay attention to that are happening on every play affect how long the game is, let alone how many penalties are you calling? What's your standard for them? Mm-hmm. Um, Final scores. And, I mean, Vegas. I mean, they, they know who the officials are in Vegas. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I think, uh, you know, I think a, a crisp moving game is a good thing. Uh, I sort of wrap the show up. I mentioned Kevin Seifert's article. Kevin does great work. Consider him a friend. I'm sure you do too. We, we all work together for quite a few years, and you guys still do. Um, you contributed to this article. I don't know how much you had to do with it, but obviously you had some input. It was about officiating really in other sports and across the world yep. to some degree and some very interesting stuff. 
And the couple things I took away from it was, you read it, and I'm sure all of us have done this, where I've been like, come on, man, that was a strike. Or I remember when I was coaching flag football, I kind of chewed out one of the refs. He didn't know where the goal line was, and I thought that was an important <laughs> little tidbit. But they were seven-year-olds, you know. I probably yeah, could yeah. have you know, dialed it back a little. I'm yep. sure we've all been guilty to this to some degree. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, if a waiter or a waitress doesn't bring me coffee right on time and it's two minutes late, do I stand up in the diner and scream yeah. at them and, and want to beat up their family? Yeah. I mean, like, it's insane. Yes, and people feel like they're entitled to it, and it goes yeah, all like the they're way allowed. down. Right? It goes, yeah, like like you can say whatever you want to this guy. And for for me, just as a parent, you know, my boys are seventeen and fourteen. Um, you know, I see it all the time at their at their sports games, and it bothers me. I, I feel like I feel like respect is important. I feel like the leaders, um, you know, starting with the coaches, set the tone for mm -hmm. how their teams are going to behave, and. And what's okay. And I think just from a performance standpoint, you know, focusing on the things you can control is the way to go from at the youth level, the development of the kids. It's what is what's important. Why are we so invested in whether Johnny's team wins the freaking eight year old game? Who cares? I mean, I, in the bottom and I've had to train myself to do this. But, you know, if my kid goes in the game, it happened last night. He went in the game with two runners on. It was the last inning and they're protecting a one and run lead. I'm not, I've coached myself to not be sitting there um, just living and dying with whether, whether he succeeds or wins the game. Because if he fails, that's part of the development too, right? Sure, sure. And so if that, if that umpire, like, you know, after the game, my son was upset last night because uh, some of the pitches he was throwing were called, were called balls, and he thought they were strikes, right? The oldest argument, right? Of course. And it's like, deal with it. You know, that, do do we want to have a GoPro there and stop the game and prove that, oh, it caught the outside corner? No. In life, you're going to deal with times when you thought it was a ball and someone else called it a strike. And it doesn't mean you tolerate incompetence, but I think uh, just tolerating, not tolerating, but respecting humanity, respecting others and understanding, certainly at the youth level, that we're there for the development of the kids. And then at the pro level, yes, we demand the officials be at the absolute highest level and they can't have... It's, it's not acceptable if they just don't know the rules or completely blow something. But the judgment calls are going to be the judgment calls, and we're not all going to like them. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, I hadn't even looked at that from a parenting perspective, but I don't want my kid to go 16-0 and every year and be the best pitcher. I mean, you have to overcome some hardships. Life doesn't come that easy to you. And there's some really cool themes in Kevin's article, too. Yeah talking about video at the high school level, wrestling, this guy shouldn't have got suspended, and he did. And, and But in the end, I keep thinking about it, and there's a great quote in there. Do I really want to take a half day off work, go make 60 bucks, and go get yelled at for two hours, and end up on the news because someone had their cell phone, and I didn't, you know, basically saying... Yeah, blew the call. Right. You know, like, yeah. no, these kids aren't making anything. Some are high school kids, you know, like, come on. It, yeah, and there there are shortages of officials to work these games because it is. Yeah, and here's the thing, you know, we're talking about uh, people that are on them like these are bad people. They're not. They're you and me and our neighbors. You know, yeah, right. We've all been. You there. know what I mean? These are great people. A lot of them are just great people who, for whatever reason, think it's okay. And I think some of that starts starts with the coaches. Certainly, it's you know, in the pros, they're they're all over them. And you go back to baseball, I mean, Earl Weaver, you know, get, basically getting in a fight with the umpires. And I understand that's that's pros and it's different. But I think a lot of this just kind of, you know, trickles all the way through. And 
uh, has a corrosive effect on the experience and, and in some ways the integrity of the game. Yeah, and there's one other quote here that they, it was over 17,000 um, officials that they they polled. 64% of them had to remove a spectator for bad behavior. Okay, yeah. I mean, we've all seen that happen, and I couldn't imagine being that person. What an embarrassment that would be. <laughs> Another 57 had to, has been forced to break up a fight. I mean, <laughs> these aren't hockey linesmen. You know, like, you got to break up a fight at my daughter's softball game? Yeah, Jeff- hey, yeah. have you seen the, the guy? There's a guy quoted in the story. Um, and he's got a Facebook page. It's called like, I don't know, offside yeah. or something. Um, and all he does is co- he, he collects videos from, uh, you know, people who witnessed these just ridiculous, you know, dads getting in fights with the kids on the diamond in the field. Not that the dads aren't fighting with the kids, but maybe they are fighting with the kids, fighting with yeah, each other. Somebody's fighting. You know, just ridiculous behavior that should never be tolerated. That should never be part of it. It just makes me cringe. Yeah. And the last two statistics, and we'll wrap this up, are yeah. just under 50% have felt unsafe or feared for their safety on their job due yeah. to bad behavior. And 13% reported being a target of a physical assault. So if you're an official of some sort, there's a better than one in 10 chance you're going to have to fight yeah. somebody off. If I'm, you know, I'm having my dog there with me, guard dog, maybe some, some pepper spray. Yeah, say, right. Like a mailman, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's too much. I think we can all just step back and take a deep breath and realize that, you know, balls and strikes are going to be, we're going to disagree sometimes. And, and as long as it's not at the pro level, a completely egregious act of incompetence, you know, we're not going to fire the officials after every game. <laughs> right. And some of them are making 15 bucks a game to call strikes in 100-degree heat. I mean, come on. Um, yeah. Folks, that's a wrap. I just wanted to talk about this article, though. Um, there's thousands of you listening. It's not a busy football time. Go and read it because I've been guilty of it. I'm sure Mike's been guilty of it to some degree. And everyone in the stands do, but just take a step back and realize that just because it's accepted, it shouldn't be. It's crazy. Yep, and that's on ESPN.com, a crisis mode at all levels, how technology put officials in a tough spot. And if you're wondering what my contribution was, I remembered that on the Brady Bunch, Greg Brady had accidentally... That was you. That was your quote. That was, that's the, <laughs> that was the one thing I gave Kevin. I nice. said, hey, look, all my years of watching... TV after school, Greg Brady taking pictures of his cheerleader girlfriend at the game, caught in the background the receiver's foot, and they could determine whether it was in or out of bounds on the most critical play. So, right there, starting in 1971, that's where all this began. Wow. I'm kidding, but yeah, that's it's awesome. Fun. Though get, get replay of this football hitting Marsha in the nose. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one too. Yeah. We're old, I guess that means they are old. Where we have replay. Yeah, I watched them on reruns. Yeah. yeah, when I was home sick, yeah, yeah. I watched them. That's right. I'm way I'm way too young for that. Right. Way I saw it all in syndication. So we'll see you, man. <laughs> Folks, that's a wrap. Thanks so much. Um, tomorrow is going to be our Twitter question day. Things got bumped around this week. Um, so get those in now. And that's a wrap. Over and out.